Today I'm speaking with Peter Stern from the University of Manchester to discover more about chemoresistance and acute lymphoblastic leukaemia. Peter and researchers from the University of Manchester have recently uncovered a link between chemoresistance and paediatric acute lymphoblastic leukaemia and the protein 5T4. Early testing indicates that targeting this protein could help improve patient outcomes. Thank you for joining us today, Peter. What are the current treatment options for acute lymphoblastic leukaemia? They, they basically evolve um, in the standard sort of practice, um, um, chemotherapy. Um, the, the, the work that we've done in this manuscript or in this paper really relates to paediatric ALL. Okay. Um, or I mean, a particular subtype, which is from the B cells. Um, but in this case, you know, we're still talking about um, a disease that gets a rather similar treatment. And basically, it's the, the, the use of, uh, of, of chemotherapy. And this is given over quite some time, and it typically involves three phases. Firstly, there's an induction or remission phase and then a consolidation where there might be intensification and then a maintenance. And this treatment usually takes about two years, uh, although the maintenance is, you know, the major part of that. And what treatment you get and how intense it is depends on the subtype of the acute lymphoblastic leukemia that you have. And there are ways that you can judge that, although they're not perfect by looking at the sort of cytogenetic changes that you find in the particular tumour from the patient. Okay. So there are some, for example, that have a BCR Abelson translocation that are high risk. So you know that and therefore you might take that into account in the way that you treat the patient. Um, the, 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 the thing about these cytogenetic markers is that historically they've also tended to indicate um, or be able to indicate to some extent the, the likelihood that the patient will not actually be fully in remission after the induction stage. And of course that's a very bad, bad uh, prognostic factor because that means it might be very hard to, to treat the patient and, and get a, a curative um, outcome. And that might be in you know 10 to 20% of the patients. So. Once you start your, your first therapy, um, you, you get that diagnosis based on a bone marrow sample usually. Um, and then that's monitored um, for the presence of the leukemia. And during the time where you get the first intensive chemo, um, you get a combination of things like vincristin, dexamethasone, and doxorubicin. And then depending on the prognostic factors, you might add other things like cyclophosphamide, um, asparaginase, and, and other drugs. Um, so that all goes on for about a month. Um, of course, if you know that the patient's got a particular type, for example, that which has got the Philadelphia chromosome, which is that translocation I talked about before, then you might also get a drug like inithamid, which actually targets the tyrosine kinase that's associated with that. So that's a very intensive um, um, treatment and you're going to spend a lot of time in hospital and of course you might need to have quite a lot of support during that time because these things really do bad things to your blood and you might need antibiotics, um, um, and transfusions of platelets and blood cells 
and, and various other things that will maintain you in this time. But at the end of that time, they check to see whether or not you've got any minimal residual disease. And if you haven't, then obviously they can think about intensifying the treatment. They're also particularly worried about whether or not the leukemia spread to other sites, particularly the brain, but also it can end up in the, the, um, the gonads, uh, the testis or the ovary. And these extra medullary sites are, are, are harder to treat. And we'll come back to that later. So, I mean, of course, if you have those already, then they might give other types of treatment that deal with that. Then the consolidation phase, if, if you're in remission, um, you get short courses of chemo, and those are usually the same as the induction therapy, and then that lasts for a few months. And again, you might change that depending on the risk of, um, or the inability to remove the tumor as by the monitoring that goes on. And then after that, you enter a maintenance phase where you get um, additional chemotherapeutic drugs um, which you, you carry on for about two years and you might then still need to have additional treatment if you've got evidence of you know, metastasis into the brain. So the response rates, um, particularly in the children, are very good, 80 to 90 percent. Okay. Um, but of course there are these one set of patients that are unfortunately not ever able to get into remission and they have this sort of minimal residual disease and from that unfortunately the leukemia can go on and um, come back. The thing is that when you treat a leukemia it turns out that not all the cells are the same so you know maybe most of the cells will disappear and they're not necessarily the ones that are capable of um, reinitiating the, 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 the tumour or the leukemia um, after treatment. And really that's where the work that we've done might add something new. Okay, perfect, thank you. So in this study you and your team demonstrated a link between the 524, 5T4 protein sorry, and chemo resistance in ALL. Can you describe how you identified this association? Okay, well I'll just tell you a little bit about the 5D4 molecule first. Okay because it's got a long history of being a tumour-associated antigen. And it was originally described as being on trophoblast, which is the sort of interfacing layer between the mother um, and, and the placenta in development. And the argument was, in the way we look for these types of molecules, was that they might be important in controlling the way that um, the immune system or the body stops uh, cells from being rejected even though when the fetus is in the mother it's sort of uh, genetically different because it's half coded for by the, the, the father, how it would help to control that particular part of immune recognition. But the other factor of course is that it, it, the trophoblast itself has to sort of invade and make a combination of interaction with the mother's tissues without being rejected. So it might also have been a part of um, a molecule that would function to help um, the placenta do that. And the idea was that those types of properties might also be hijacked by tumor cells. And indeed that turns out to be the case. So we know an awful lot about this molecule before we ever discovered it. It was ex expressed on a particular subset of the leukemic cells in acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Okay. Um, and the important thing that we found was um, 
indeed, after um, asking the question with my colleague, uh, Professor Vasco Sahar, who's a paediatric oncologist, he asked me, had we ever looked at the expression of 5D4 in leukemia? And I said, well, no, not really systematically. It's not expressed on most normal tissues. I didn't think it was likely to be on any leukemia. Um, but he said, well, let's look. So they had available a, a sort of set of tumor RNAs from the whole of Europe. So we could just probe to see whether there was any association or any expression of the messenger RNA, the 5D4 molecule in these leukemic biopsy specimens, which were in this bank, and then ask whether or not that correlated in any way with factors that might influence the outcome of the patients, which we also had. And what we found was that there was a very strong correlation between 5D4 expression and the high risk of relapse, i.e. those patients that wouldn't respond to treatment. Okay. Um, and of course, those patients that um, don't respond to treatment historically would have been identified by having particular genetic factors, some of which are good and some of which are, are better in terms of the ultimate uh, prognostic view. But we knew from our other studies that this 5D4 molecule is associated in some cancers with the cells in tumors that are most likely to um, populate the um, animal models that we're using or in the patient tumors that are associated with the worst survival. So we thought that they might, it might be a, a associated with being, some people call a cancer stem cell. I prefer to say a sort of tumor-initiating cell, leukemia-initiating cell, mm. or in, 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 in honesty, the most clonogenic cells, the cells that are most likely to grow if you get rid of most of the tumor cells in a, in a patient, then these will be the ones that will be the, the hardest to get rid of because then okay. they're most able to repopulate um, uh, the, the, the patient or, or a model system. So it was that concept that said, what we want to do now is to have a look, see if we can look in the leukemias from the patients, depending on whether or not they came from patients that had minimal residual disease, sort of the high risk of relapse, or those that in fact had responded well to treatment. And we looked at that in biopsies from the patients. Um, now the trouble with the biopsies from the patients, these, these don't grow in vitro. Um, you, you can study them for a few days, but basically we don't know how to get them to grow in vitro, but they will grow in immunosuppressed mice. So we were able to produce these xenografts, which actually would recapitulate the sort of properties of the tumor that was in the patient. And so that gave us a source of material, first of all, to look to see whether there was any difference in the expression of the 5D4 marker. Um, which is a cell surface marker, um, and secondarily to look at whether or not there would be the possibility to target with, with 5D4-related um, um, drugs. So when we did that, what we found was that we only found these 5D4-positive leukemic blasts in the biopsies from patients where there was minimal residual disease. We never found them in the ones that had responded well for treatment. So what you can imagine is that in any leukemia, you've got some basic genetic changes that are 
occurring in the early part of the B cell um, um, lineage. It, it would normally be, if it went through its proper differentiation, become an antibody-producing cell. Well, of course, these cells start to become cancer cells at a much earlier stage of their lineage than that. But they still have some capacity to sort of differentiate. So in any leukemic population, you've not only got the genetic changes, but you've got the residual sort of capacity to differentiate. And when you treat with drugs, most of them probably will be sensitive, but some won't be. And our hypothesis was that these 5D4 positive cells would be the ones that would be more likely to survive chemotherapy and also be the most clonogenic. So what we did next was we... We took some of these leukemias, um, uh, the ones which had sort of a subpopulation of the 5D4 positive class, and we put them over a sort of uh, column that allowed us to remove all the 5D positive, almost all the 5D4 positive cells from the sample, and then we put that tumour back into the animal, and or we put it back unfractionated, or even put in the 5D4 positive cells. And we asked, how long did it take for the leukemia to engraft um, if it didn't have any 5D4 positive cells in it? And what we found was a dramatic change in the engraftment capability when we removed the 5D4 positive cells. Okay. And actually, it's technically very difficult to get rid of every single one of them. Yeah. And the reason why um, it's hard to completely eliminate the tumour, I suspect, from the, um, the animals when removing the 5D4 positive cells is that as few as 100 cells given to one of these animals would still lead to a um, engraftment of a tumour which um, would recapitulate the sort of properties of the original patient. So from what, what we learned then was that, you know, within these leukemias there's a subset of cells that grow much, much, much better. Um, when you put them into an animal and it, it's sort of recapitulating what would happen in, a, in, a, in a, a patient, that you give a lot of chemotherapy, many of, the, many of the leukemic cells can be killed, but some are able to avoid that, and these ones were probably the 5D4 positive ones. Now, we knew from other work that we'd done that the 5D4 molecules actually help um, cells that express it to respond to um, a chemokine called CXCL12, um, which binds to a receptor called CXCL4. And um, it, it's not an absolute requirement because you can you can have this receptor um, chemokine interaction without the presence of 5D4. But in these leukemic cells, the 5D4 positive ones. If you put them in a gradient of this chemokine, then they will travel towards the, the source of that chemokine. It's a gradient-driven process. And if you use an antibody, particular antibody against our 5D4 molecule, that can block that process. And what we showed was that the only cells, leukemic cells, that responded in our system, which was obviously in vitro, um, so it may not represent everything that might happen to a cell, but certainly it's a good surrogate for, for chemotaxis in vivo. Okay. Um, only the 5D4 positive ones would respond to this chemotherapeutic gradient. So uh, what I mean by that really is that it turns out that 
the source of this chemokine is very high in places like the bone marrow and the brain, places where metastases end up, particularly for these leukemias. So we expect that what happens is that when these tumors that have the um, 5G4 positive components in it um, are treated, that there's a greater likelihood that the tumor cells will migrate into the bone marrow. And there they may be in a niche where they for example, come out of the cell cycle. So they may not be dividing, which might make them less sensitive to some components of the chemotherapy. And um, they've also got this great capacity to be able to continue to be able to divide. Um, and, and they just wait around, wait around, unfortunately, until the treatment stopped. And then, of course, they can, um, they can recapitulate the disease. Okay. So, that, uh, that, that property we knew about from other work that we've done was manifest in these leukemia cells. And there are a couple of other things that we know about in relation to the biology of the 5D4 molecules, which probably contribute to the function of these leukemic cells that are 5D4 positive being more able to get into these extramedullary sites. And that is that 5D4 sort of seems to influence the adhesion properties of, of, of cells, makes them sort of um, uh, less likely to adhere to things, um, and also makes them more uh, organized to be motile. So uh, in a way, 5D4 is a flag that helps it find the right direction and gives it the sort of motor to be able to go where it, where it needs to go in order to, um, you know, in this case, get to a niche which might help it um, survive the chemotherapy that's going to be given. Okay, thank you very much. So, um, as you mentioned briefly, so the team identified that by utilising a drug in mice engrafted with the 5T4 positive ALL cell line, it was possible to selectively attack the treatment-resistant leukaemia cells. Could you give us a bit of further details of the mechanism by which this drug attacks these cells? Okay, well, the, the 5D4 molecule is a, is a glycoprotein that's found on the cell surface, and we have antibodies to it. Um, and the uh, not all the antibodies will, when they bind to the molecule, necessarily internalise, but you can select for antibodies that will. And so what Pfizer did was to select an antibody that could internalize, um, because that way they could, with, with the right sort of chemistry, combine it with a cytotoxic drug. So what they needed to do was to use a particular conjugate um, which allowed their microtubule dis disrupting agent, which is you know, a monometal or a statin F, uh, linked by a cleavable um, molecule to the 5D4 antibody that will internalize. So you give the antibody to the patient and it, in circulation, it, it finds the, the 5D4 positive, um, if you like, tumor initiating cell. And the antibody internalizes the drug. And when it gets to um, the lysosome, it releases the drug, which in this case interacts with tubulin and basically disrupts it. And 
tubulin is part of the machinery for lots of um, factors um, that influence the biology of the cell, but most importantly, it doesn't let the cell go through division properly. So you're going to arrest the cell and cause it to sort of um, eventually apoptose. Um, so the, the important thing about this is that the drug toxicity is only um, going to be able to do this once it's got inside the cell. So the selectivity of the conjugate is the delivery to the specific target, the internalization, then the release of the, the molecules in the appropriate place. And, you know, a lot of preclinical studies in other model systems had shown that this humanized antibody with this um, microtubule disrupting agent was able to um, properly deal with um, tumors and induce long-term regression in model systems. And but it, one could also show that the the specific antibody um, released the payload only where the tumor was present. So all these are things that are going to be important in terms of um, its use in, in patients. Okay. Could you give us a bit of further details about um, the drugs safety and fixity and kind of survival that you saw? Well, well the first thing I should probably say is that when we, when we treated the real human patient um, leukemias in, a, in these um, xenografts in, in animals without an immune system, we, we gave the tumour for a week okay. and, and then we treated in several cycles at intervals of four, uh, well, three or four times at intervals of four days intervals and then a gap of a week. And when we did that, we were significantly able to delay the appearance of the leukemias. And indeed, what we found was that if you stop giving the drug, then the, the leukemia would come back. Um, but more importantly, we used it in combination with dexamethasone, which is one component of the first induction phase chemotherapy, and then successively gave several rounds of the 5D4 ADC therapy. And that was able to give us really excellent control of the, the animals um, that had received this leukemia. So it's really optimistic for the um, potential use in patients. Um, this, this drug has also been into a clinical trial of a few patients to look for its safety and its pharmacokinetics. This was done by, by Pfizer. And from that, they were able to determine a maximum tolerated dose and its half-life in the patient and how much the payload was when they measured it in the patient. So in other words, how long would the drug be hanging around in order to get delivered or could be delivered to the target cells of, of choice. And those are things that you need to know when you, do, when you divide, divide the, the drug scheduling. And um, I mean, there were no, um, uh, you know, th th there were no particular toxicities, and so obviously we need to do a lot more um, testing of this um, this drug before before entering into further clinical trials. But everything is looking very optimistic. Okay, so you've touched on this briefly, but could you tell us about the potential um, clinical impact of these findings? Well. Let me say first that the 
for the leukemia, from the leukemia perspective, you've got a situation where you've got pretty good treatments. Um, so in order to introduce um, something else, then there's got to be a significant advantage. And also you've got to make it sort of, uh, it's got to be economically viable, um, if you like. But the most important thing we need to do now is to do a much larger study of the expression of 5T4 in relation to minimal residual disease in a whole range of different leukemia patients, uh, including adult adult patients. And that, that's planned in the short term. Because if we could validate this as a marker, then it might be a very simple test to be able to tell people how best to configure existing regimens, but also may form the platform for using a 5D4 ADC type treatment. On another level, you can say, I mean, this type of work in leukemia is reinforcing work that's already been shown that, that the different cancers have subpopulations of cells, including non-small lung cell carcinoma and head and neck um, cell cancers, where the 5D4 expression actually marks the cells that are the most likely to be around after treatment. So being able to target them by either a 5D4 um, um, antibody delivered uh, drug or another means is, um, you know, a, rea a real prospect in, in, a, in things outside of the, uh, the chemic field. The other thing I should point out is that, you know, 5D4, there are other 5D4 ADCs being developed by other companies. Okay. And in addition, there are other companies that have developed slightly different strategies, which all of which could equally be useful for treating cancers on the premise that you're going to target the most important subpopulation of cells. And those include using an antibody to deliver a bacterial superantigen that activates T cells to deliver their uh, sort of therapeutic payload. And also the possibility, and we've shown this in principle, that you can make a, a modified T cell with what's called a chimeric antigen receptor, where you make a T cell have an antibody-driven T cell receptor. And of course, if you make that 5D4, then you could use a CAR T cell against 5D4 to target this type of leukemia-initiating cell in the leukemias. Now, it turns out that there is a therapy based on CAR T targeting against something called CD19, which has been used in um, ALL treatment. And this CD19 molecule is expressed also by normal B cells. So the advantage of you using 5D4 is that you wouldn't be knocking out your antibody response at the same time. So there are other things that have been developed as well, including a vaccine which would um, potentially induce antibodies and T cell responses which could also be able to deliver um, therapy to some cancers. And um, finally, we know that some monoclonal antibodies will actually block this uh, chemotaxis, and in fact blocking the action of that chemotactic pathway is the feature of a drug that is used um, in treatment of patients, but it, it has a problem in the sense that the 
specificity of that drug is only for the chemokine and its receptor, and that is quite a promiscuously expressed um, set of um, molecules and functions. The nice thing about the 5D4 antibody blocking, if one could harness it, would, would, it would perhaps be specific for um, uh, tumor or cancer-related um, functional attributes. So that might be another way of dealing with things. Okay, perfect. So um, I think you've mostly covered this, but um, if you wanted to add anything on to what's your next steps? Well, as I say, I mean, to translate these observations to, let's say, patient benefit um, in the near future, I think will depend on two things. One, that there's a clinical need, um, and two, that we've validated the expression of 5D4 in the context of that disease. For leukemia, I think the path for doing that comes from looking much more extensively at MRD in relation to um, patients already receiving conventional treatment. And for other diseases, um, there might be more options for using this type of approach because the, the treatments that you have, for example, in head and neck um, cell cancer, really are not very um, successful. And so it will be easier to um, design clinical trials to test a 5D4-directed um, and, um, drug therapy um, in those types of patients. Fantastic. Thank you very much.